Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Would you like to ride in my beautiful balloon? Would you like to glide in my beautiful balloon? We could float among the stars together, you and I, for we can fly, we can fly up and away in my beautiful, my beautiful balloon. The world's a nicer place in my beautiful balloon. It wears a nicer face in my beautiful balloon. We can sing a song and sail along the silver sky, for we can fly, we can fly up, up and away. In my beautiful, my beautiful balloon. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you plump and delicious gooseberry. My name's Owen, and those opening lines were from a 1967 pop song by The Fifth Dimension. I'm genuinely thrilled to be joined for this episode by Shane in Los Angeles and Sergey in Barcelona to digest Liverpool's fearless exorcism of those pesky and tiresome little devils, Manchester United, at Anfield, 2-0. Thanks a zillion for listening and Without any further hesitation, let's climb right into this episode's basket and float up, up and away. I'm thrilled, I'm honoured to be joined by Sergey and to be joined by Shane. Um, Sergey is actually a Barcelona fan, it's very, very great that he can join us. It's lovely to have a, another perspective on the Reds. Uh, whereas Shane is, uh, of course, for regular listeners, you will know Shane is back. He is a big Liverpool fan. And um, Shane, I'm going to start with you because we've just beaten our rivals, uh, Manchester United. I, I I think you you were in the Los Angeles Supporters Club bar um, and uh, just to give you a bit of context, I was watching in my flat uh, just outside Paris, my new place. Um, when Mo Salah slid in that goal, I um, found myself, I don't really have much memory of what happened in the few seconds afterwards, but I found myself a few seconds afterwards standing behind my screen with my top off, waving it twirling it around my head as if I were stranded on a desert island and I was signalling to a passing ship or helicopter. Um, I, d I kind of lost control and I wonder if the, in the Los Angeles official Liverpool Supporters Club, albeit 9.30 or 10.30 in the morning or something like that over there, were people getting their tops off and going crazy and how the devil are you after that terrific match? Oh my goodness, Owen. Yes, that is exactly what happened over here. You're exactly right, except for just uh, on, a, on a much larger scale. Though I would have loved to, uh, to be with you when, when that happened. That must have been a sight to see. Um, thank you for having me on another episode of Cop On. It is so good to be back, and what a match to be back on for the Northwest Derby. I mean, that match, whoo! 
I just can't even describe that. I mean, it was just an exciting match. It was a fantastic, exciting match with a with a perfect climactic finish. Uh, I mean, I uh, yes, uh, like as you mentioned earlier, I was over at Joxer Daly's, an Irish pub over uh, here in Los Angeles for the official Liverpool Supporters Club, and it was mad from the start. Uh, just to just to give a context, I, we have reached new heights of being so ridiculous over here. Today was the first day I have seen, I've been going for about two years now, today was the first day that I show up and people have giant uh, uh, like photocopied heads of Jurgen Klopp, Bobby Firmino, uh, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, just like around the bar, just gigantic heads, and people are just waving them around. The songs are singing. I've recorded actually a couple of the chants and the songs and our rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone. And so, yeah, just the whole atmosphere was fantastic. And I just completely forgot who I was whenever Mo slid in that goal, like you said. I was, I found myself laughing because it just seemed to be the quintessential Mohamed Salah goal in just the craziest of fashions in the big moment. Marvellous to have you back. That's a lovely description. Sergey, you're a Barcelona fan. Um, were you a bit of a neutral in this match? Uh, and uh, I don't know, what did you make of the match in general? What are your sort of initial reactions to it? Well, uh, I was watching it, yeah, like a neutral fan, and I was watching it just to see the football, uh, see how uh, one uh, coach uh, plays against another. And I saw the total dominance of the Liverpool. And this year, they reached these heights that uh, I, I I don't know how to play against them. And I see that this uh, style of play of Man Manchester United now that you just have five defenders and uh, additional two defensive midfielders, and all your tactics that you get is just to push the ball away and then maybe Martial or another guy will do something with that. No, it doesn't work against this Liverpool. And actually during all the um, game, I was thinking, wow, as Liverpool became that dangerous, they kind of converted in a hybrid kind of, of Atletico de Madrid. Because as you may, uh, may notice, all the last games finished 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. Liverpool just do this and we already, I with my friends was making jokes that uh, welcome to new FC Atletico, uh, the coach Jurgen Simeone and the second goal by Mo Salah was kind of perfect finish in this uh, derby and I believe that yeah Manchester United deserve to score one but anyway, the win should have been, uh, the winning side was Liverpool, definitely they dominated the game. Just by like a neutral uh, fan of the football, I don't know what can stop this, uh, this team now. I don't know, uh, guys, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm praying that Barcelona won't get Liverpool in the Champions League. <laughs> wow, that's, that's it. That's a great answer. Thank you, Sergey. It's, it's music to my ears to to hear that it's not just us being subjective, thinking we're the best team in the world, probably. I don't know. On Cop On Podcast, we've compared them 
um, to many different things. The Combine Harvester, the Rocket Reds, the Relentless Reds, the Tenacious Reds and the Vampire Reds because we just suck the life out of our opponents time and time again. Shade, it's seven clean sheets in a row now. Um, that was the first time we faced Manchester United at Anfield for a league game when we started the day top of the table uh, since September 1990 under Kenny Dalglish, the first time when we were the kings of everything. And, uh, you know, we're back there. I mean, you could argue this team is even better. Uh, where does this result leave us? I mean, obviously now we're only 16 points ahead with a game in hand. It's utterly nuts, isn't it, Shane? I mean, what we can't throw it away now, can we? Um, no, I, I don't think we can throw it away now. I, I mean, I think you could even tell that even at Anfield. I mean, they were singing for the first time, we're going to win the league. I mean, I think the belief, and I don't even know if that was like directly, uh, you know, like purposely, like mindfully thing. They think they just went for it because they just, they just felt like that, uh, that elation, that high from the win. Um, I would, I would say, yeah, it, just the way Klopp has us so fine-tuned, I mean, where this result has left us, I mean, again, like you said, Hendo said in his post-match conference with Sky Sports that we're only thinking about one game at the time, and then even Jurgen Klopp said in his, one of his post-match interviews that he doesn't even have enough space in his brain to think about anything else other than Wolves on Thursday, uh, so... Yeah, they, they're just a finely tuned machine focusing on one game at a time. And I'm so happy uh, that we have a Barcelona fan with us here today to, to confirm like everything that we've been thinking ourselves. Because, uh, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a big, uh, like you said, he's, I'm a big Liverpool fan. I'm absolutely nutty about Liverpool. And so to hear someone else from another side talk about how... Uh, how how great we are is just uh, it's just great confirmation. But going back to the game and where it leaves us, I mean this win. I mean it's such a oh, I mean it leaves us thirty points clear of United. And just to just a statement like that in terms of the power dynamic and how cyclical everything has been between Liverpool and United, going from the seventies to the eighties, and then with United in the nineties and the two thousands, the early two thousands with all of their titles under Ferguson. It is just absolutely incredible to be 30 points clear of United. And then once once you factor that and that they're not even the, our closest challengers yet, plus in a weekend when Burnley beat Leicester City 2-1 to one, and then Crystal Palace take points off City with a 2-2 draw at the Etihad, it's just, uh, I don't know, it just feels like a perfect weekend uh, with a game in hand. You, you have to be objective and guys, I know you are fans, you, you love your team and you, sometimes you might say that uh, uh, Liverpool is the best of the best of the best, but now it's uh, just true. And I see that this is the champions uh, team. Opponents don't score when they should have scored. Uh, Reds score when they shouldn't. Uh, other teams lose points where they shouldn't. Again, this looks like the champions run anyway. And uh, regarding being the Barcelona fan and saying you mm, this, well, again, this is just truth. And as a what, where does this result leave us? <sighs> 
again, as uh, Owen, you mentioned here in the note that City can only get 93 points. Liverpool is on the champions run and I'm sure that now we just have to start counting and making bets uh, in which uh, round Liverpool became the champions uh, before, uh, beforehand. Oh, it's fantastic to hear. Thank you very much, Sergei. I mean, you've experienced winning the league as a Barcelona fan numerous times. You've 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 seen the greatest player of our generation, Leo Messi, take the world by storm year after year, do things that should be impossible game after game. So to hear that, you know, from the outside that yes indeed this Liverpool team is definitely going to win is just beautiful uh, so we're on 64 points I'm sure our listeners know that uh, Man City can only get 93 so we need 30 more points from 16 games surely this is it um, I remember I was 10 years old the last time that Liverpool won the league um, now I'm I'm going to be 40 next weekend um, and it's been a long wait but it's so worth it to see us because you mentioned we were like Atletico Madrid yes we are we're very very organised very hard to break down I don't think it's a coincidence that in the last sort of 10 minutes of that match we only had about 20% possession but United didn't really have a good chance in that time, did they? I mean, you could argue Martial maybe, but that was a that was a, probably a you know that was a pretty low percentage shot uh, to goal ratio that one, even for someone as talented as Martial. Um, we are very very good at seeing off teams. We're very very good also at attacking and at moving teams around and I just thought we were terrific really I mean the stats um, just to give you a few of them for this this uh, some overview stats uh, who scored.com gave the whole team a rating of 7.2 to Manchester United 6.37 uh, we had 16 shots to their nine we had 53.3 percent possession to their 40 46.7 our pass success rate was only 79%, and I say only because normally it's more than that. It has been recently, and I think that was due to the last 10 minutes when we just sort of closed up shop and tried to hit them on the break. Um, the dribbles, we had 16 to their 9. Uh, aerial duels won 16 to their 13. We won 21 tackles to their 16. That's a lot. Uh, we had 11 corners to their 5. And we managed to dispossess them 16 times. Um, no, sorry, they dispossessed us 16 times because we had the ball. And we only dispossessed them 7 times, I think. I don't know. Maybe that's reverse. I don't know how to read this. Anyway, generally, the stats say we deserved to win, in a nutshell. Um, according to Understat, uh, that we had 2.01 xG, and Manchester United had 1.42 xG, so we shaded on, on the old xG. Sergey, you're an analyst. Um, do you pay much attention to xG stats, and of those stats that I just read out, apart from the dispossession ones that didn't make any sense to anybody, um, you know, what sort of, what can we read into the stats uh, uh, from today. 
Well, I always say, say that uh, you have to read stats with the context of the game. I still remember the game that was uh, Real Betis against Levante, where Levante won 3-0 to zero against Betis, but Betis had all the possession, all the shots, total domination, but because Levante chose the tactics of counter-attacking and just waiting for the mistake from the opponent, they just destroyed them and Betis couldn't do anything. So here uh, the situation is much simpler, let's say. Liverpool dominated, Liverpool knew what to do. XG looks for me totally correct. Although XG for one match, some t uh, for one game, sometimes can show you some irrelevant data, some irrelevant numbers when you th and you think no, the, that is not possible, that, that doesn't make any sense. But XG is the metric that can show you something on a long run. And when you analyze 10 games or 15 games or maybe even entire th season, you can see that XG shows you mm, the real power of the team. And yes, stats are important in the football, but you always have to add the context. Just numbers don't mean anything. Yeah, very interesting stuff. We'll get on to some of Sergi's work in a bit, but we're going to stick with this match for now. Liverpool 2, Manchester United 0. I love a 2-0, Shane. It's absolutely brilliant. When you saw the lineups, both of them, you know, Liverpool 1, Manchester United 1, uh, you know, the the Liverpool lineups, the Manchester United lineups. Um, no real surprises. Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain got the nod in midfield, as they say, over Lalana or any other other, you know, uh, contender for that role. And uh, Fabinho was on the bench, back on the bench. Matip was back on the bench. Um, there was no room for Shakiri there and there was no room for any fullback cover now that Milner was injured. How were you feeling when you saw the lineup? Uh, supremely confident like I was? Uh, uh, pretty much. Uh, I mean, I was I was kind of expecting this sort of lineup just to see what we were going to do. Uh, it, I felt like it was just going to be a uh, another rendition of our Tottenham lineup again, and I thought Lalana was going to be the first sub as well, and that's what Jurgen Klopp ended up going with. So that was uh, so that was pretty good to see and reassuring. But I overall I was very happy to see the lineup whenever it came out. Speaking about United's lineup, I mean Martial. Uh, I was interested in the battle between him and Trent and Gomez over there on the on that side, and then also with Daniel James up front. It's such a shame, unfortunately, about Marcus Rashford and his inability to be involved in the match with his injuries. I heard, I heard he has a floating bone in his ankle that has to have some sort of procedure as well. So uh, that is unfortunate. And then also Scott McTominay has been pretty good for them in midfield, but without him present, it was uh, it was a much changed side. And uh, I certainly... And, uh, Serhey also uh, mentioned the, their formation as well, and uh, previously, but uh, yeah, I was I was felt was very reassured about our lineup going into this, along with our subs as well. But also so happy to see Fabinho come off the bench. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty great to see as well. Yes, it was interesting, wasn't it? The substitutions that you that you mentioned as well. But we'll get on to those in. In a little while, um, let's because let's look at the goal. The first goal, Shane, staying with you, Virgil Van Dyke from a corner. Um, 
Trent whipping it in, I actually got a bit annoyed later in the match because it's just so easy to say, well, why don't we just try that every single time, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess you you have to try some kind of variation. I suppose the coaches need to be paid for something. But when you've got someone as dominant as Virgil and as brilliant at crossing as Trent... Why the heck don't we do that every single time? Because it was lovely to see Virgil rising, floating in the air and powering it in. That was gorgeous, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. He, uh, I believe he was completely soaring over Bra- uh, Brandon Williams and Harry Maguire to win that header. And he was just, it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, I don't know what it looked like uh, from... Uh, uh, from your TV, but there was also that that great sunset sky in the background as he was jumping up to celebrate, and it was just uh, it was just ah, oh, I don't know the word immaculate comes to mind. But yeah, you're right. Why can't they? Why can't they do a cross like that every single time? It it seems like hitting a ball with that sort of accuracy requires a lot of skill, and it doesn't even come off as easy for someone like Trent every single time he goes to kick the ball. But yeah, what a cross from Trent. What a what a pass. It was a marvelous assist. And I was just surprised, honestly. Yeah, you said you were upset about how easy the first goal was at some point. I was just honestly a little surprised that our, I think, was it our first corner or first or second corner? Maybe even our third. I, it was just so early that it happened that I was just, I was surprised. But uh, what, a, what a happy and welcome surprise it was. Yeah, I think it was our first corner, um, or second maybe. But yes, it, it was lovely. Why was Brandon Williams marking him and Harry Maguire? I think he was slightly blocked off by Joe Gomez. So I think Joe did a very, very clever thing. Um, statistically speaking, Circa, you don't score many goals from corners. Um, so why are they giving them to Mo Salah later in the game when you've got someone as brilliant as Trent and Virgil? What would you do? Would you just play that combination every time or would you try and mix it up? Yes, you are correct. Statistically speaking, that scoring from the corner is uh, not something that will lead you to the goal in most situations but it is something that actually leads you to the goal and this is the moment when when the opponent can make the mistake like i believe that it was total mistake from manchester united side to use williams as a marking virgil it was such a nonsense for me i was so surprised when i saw and i, I was watching this and thinking really really guys you you gave up on 14th minutes already but and yeah this is what happened and i said okay game over actually on that moment i knew that the game is won by liverpool but from the as you asked about what maybe it's better to throw in all the time like this and virgil will score and become uh, and get the golden uh, shoe of the season I don't believe this is that is so easy to do that, and this uh, these things don't happen a lot. This kind of mistakes don't happen, but they do happen. And I believe that mixing is better strategy because while you mix, you give you have more possibility that the opponent side will uh, mistake. 
Yes, uh, yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. Of course, you, it's good to be a little bit unpredictable because th- so then they don't know who to pick up and who to put their best man on. But yes, from your point of view, it was a, a Manchester United mistake, and you can't really argue with that. The second goal, we've already mentioned it. It was a, it was a shirts off moment uh, for us Liverpool fans. Um, uh, for you, Sergi, I mean. You could see De Gea coming up for the corner and then hitting them on the break uh, with Alisson getting an assist. Um, It had me jumping up and down. It probably had the people in the LA supporters bar uh, ripping those faces around, those massive faces and and, and wailing around, running around the bar with them probably. Um, Sergey, it it looks easy. But uh, I don't know, what did you make of that second goal? What I actually thought during that uh, second goal when Alisson made an an assist that maybe, maybe we are entering a new era where the goalkeeper starts to do such things because as you might know uh, Ter Stegen from Barcelona already has two, two assists and more and more we have this type of goalkeepers that actually can do such things can that can make assists and these events happen more and more often that goalkeepers are uh, nowadays become not just protectors of their uh, uh, goal but also some kind of playmakers and this really fascinates me because the football changes and it always adds new details it always uh, and the one who invents those things, the one who tries these crazy things you might think uh, from the first side uh, from the first side wins in the end. But this was brilliant by Allison, and I really loved it. And I I just rem- when he did that, I remember that uh, Mark Andre Ter Stegen did something like that, and I believe that we will see such things more often. I I really hope we will. Well, I hope so too. As you know, as Alison would be great. I mean, yeah, Virgil can get the the golden shoe, the golden boot, uh, and uh, I don't know. Is there one for a, a golden something for assists? I don't know, but uh, give it to Alison anyway. I'm sure he can get a few more. Um, uh, yeah, the uh, the game itself, as it unfolded, I thought Manchester United started really well in the first five minutes, but then. There were 30 minutes or 35 minutes when it was just Liverpool and then five minutes at the end of the first half that was Manchester United again. Um, I thought Liverpool were excellent after that first five minutes. We got into it, we seemed to get hold of the ball more. Um, Vinaldum, I thought Henderson had a lovely game in midfield as well. And Chamberlain, you know, was competitive. I thought he was dangerous. He hit the post early in the second half, of course. Uh, but some stats from the from the end of the first half uh, were that Liverpool had six shots uh, with two on target and Manchester United had three shots with one on target. We had 59% possession in the first half and I thought we were generally a bit better. Uh, Joe Gomez was good uh, just before we won the corner that Big Virgil scored from. And at the back, yeah, you said, Sergey, we're not, you know, it, you knew from the from the time that Virgil 
scored that Liverpool were going to win the match. I, I wasn't so confident myself. I thought United could come back. But, but watching this team defend, including Trent against Martial and including Robertson against Daniel James. Shane, our defence was excellent. Our midfield was excellent in the first half and at the start of the second half as well, where we had those five minutes where where Salah almost scored. He kicked it from his left foot onto his right foot. It just went past the post. And then Mane hit it over. And then Hendo, a wonderful shot and a brilliant save by De Gea, tipping it onto the post. Um, what did you make of our midfield, Shane, and our defence today? Yes, uh, today felt like, I mean, in so many other games, it's always been either our fullbacks who have stepped up in a really big way to provide the breakthroughs, or it's been all about the front three, but today, and and granted, today did feature fantastic performances from people in those groupings, but uh, from players in uh, in those groups, but... Uh, today, it felt like the midfield stood head and shoulders above the rest of our players on the pitch. I mean, Gene Vinaldum, I was I was almost jumping up and down at what he was able to do with his ball control in the first half and at the beginning of the second half. I mean, uh, the whole the whole narrative this past I think week and a half, two weeks, is that Janie might be leaving at the end of the season. And just the performances he's been able to put in, I mean, we saw how much value he has just in just in his first half performance alone. Um, and then also defensively, uh, Trenton and, and Robo, and Andrew Robinson, had uh, nine crosses each, uh, which, was, which was fantastic. Uh, and then Virgil van Dyke had eight clearances as well. Uh, Joe Gomez had three interceptions. He was able to really handle Martial quite well. And Trent Alexander-Arnold made uh, uh, these really fast sprinting runs. There was, I think it was, it was definitely in the second half whenever United were on the break and on the counter. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold would make a, a sprinting run down in just to just to get the ball away from the, from that side. And so I was overall very, very impressed with how the team performed. Uh, Henderson had five tackles. Oxlade-Chamberlain had five tackles. There was that one moment in the first half when uh, Ox tried a, a sliding tackle and it didn't exactly come off well, and he hustled right back after the player and pulled another one. I forgot who it was on exactly, but won the ball again, and he got he got a uh, he got a yell from the from the from the crowd at Anfield. So yeah, it was. It was such a work rate, such a such a hard performance put in by all of our players, and I was I was happy to see Lalana come in with his influence as well. Um, something to to do note: it wasn't like we were perfectly controlled either. United were able to put us off kilter and put us off balance. There was a number of times with their pressing that they were able to uh, make uh, force mistakes from us. I know Andrew Robertson had, I believe, 66% pass accuracy. Uh, he gave a couple of balls away. Trent gave a couple of balls away. Uh, I believe Ox did as well. Lalana did once whenever he came on. So there were plenty, plenty of mistakes caused by United's defense and the way they they were able to set up tactically which hats off to them I think I think based on their big six performances so far this season and just with some of the results it seems as if Ole Gunnar has kind of taken them up just another uh, another step or or at least solidified something within their team that they know how to play uh really on on the on the counter attacking style they have so much confidence whenever they have the ball going forward especially through Daniel James um but yeah, I was happy with what we were able to do defensively against that. 
Excellent answer. Who stood out for you, Sergi, uh, on the Liverpool side? And then we'll go on to talk about Manchester United. But, you know, which players from the defence or midfield or attack stood out for you as, as being the best today? That's a really nice question. And to be honest, uh, it's hard for me to choose because I saw the team playing. But mm, let me think, let me think. I guess I would say that this game was uh, the best was Virgil, his scoring and his clearances, his uh, um, defensive work. Also, I cannot tell that Joe uh, Gomez uh, didn't do his work well. Of course, as Shane told, there were mistakes. Uh, the Manchester United uh, did their job and made sometimes Liverpool uh, to, to, to make some mistakes. They tried to play their game, but the defensive line was too good. I think the defensive line, this pair, this uh, uh, Virgil and Joe, they were brilliant today. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, they. I, I mean, I agree. I thought they were absolutely superb. Um, WhoScored.com gave Virgil... Uh, man of the match, not just for his goal, but you mentioned the clearances, Sergey. He had eight clearances, Virgil did today. And to put that into context, um, uh, Joe Gomez was next best on our team with two. So it was absolutely monstrous performance by Virgil. And I would agree, yes, not just his goal. That beautiful pass he played through, <laughs> was it in the first half? That massive long um, diagonal pass to Mo Salah. I mean, I, I could just watch that kind of stuff all day. Uh, it was glorious performance. He was up winning head as he was organising. He was staying as cool as a freezer full of cucumbers um and uh you know he, he he was great in possession hardly gave the ball away and you're right to mention joe gomez as well he got 90.7 pass accuracy which under that kind of pressure is very difficult for his 54 passes shane mentioned genie vinaldum he was very very good on the ball in terms of keeping it um only 34 passes but they were all very very good ones pretty much he had 85 percent passing accuracy uh Jordan only 75% passing accuracy from our captain. He could be a little bit disappointed, but I thought his the way he was combative and and uh, he made one key pass and other passes that were, you know, actually absolutely quite quite jaw dropping. He was trying some unusual uh, different passes to try and break him down. And as Shane said, five tackles from the captain, which was equal most with Chamberlain, who was only on the pitch for 65 minutes. Before he got the five tackles, I was not that impressed with Delana when he came on. Unfortunately, I mean he tried, he did well. I mean he won, he won uh, one tackle and he got an interception and he managed to clear the ball. I mean he wasn't useless, but I just thought we we lost a little bit when he came on. A bit of the combative aspect that Chamberlain brought when he he was on the field. But it was a, it was a lovely performance. As for Manchester United and and the improvements under Ole. Gunnar Solskjaer, um, do you see it? Do you agree with Shane, Sergey, that uh, you know you can see a definite improvement in Manchester United? Well, definite. It's hard to say. I, I will be honest. I'm not following too much Manchester United, but 
I believe they still stay on the same line and on the same level. Maybe they started to play a little bit better, mm, but mm, I don't see a drastic change. Yes, they they can play against um, uh, top teams and trying to counterattack. They yes, they started to try different things and not just one tactics. Yes, they yeah. Actually, while I was talking, I may agree with Shane that yeah, they improved. But I also do believe that they can do much better if they change few players, if they um, make some changes. I still believe that even with these players, they can do better. They can. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they certainly need, uh, I don't know, some fresh blood. I heard a Manchester United fan the other day saying that, you know, they on, on, a, on a brilliant podcast I was listening, I think it was on the Blood Red channel, um, saying that, uh, yeah, I mean they've 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 certainly got some of the players uh, that uh, Solskjaer is bringing through, but a lot of the team is actually inherited from the different managers they've had since Fergie left, and it's sort of a a hodgepodge of different, uh, you know, different teams that uh, you know all, all mixed together. And uh, Solskjaer needs time to build his own uh, team. Um, I just get a feeling that he's a little bit out of his depth. Um, he was sacked by Cardiff, of course. Uh, you know, he, he was doing well with Mulder in the Norwegian League. Uh, but uh, poof, that's not really saying much. I do think he's sort of living off his reputation and the lowered expectations, which are now, compared to where Manchester United should be, I mean, they're really low, aren't they? The expectations. So I, I, I would personally give Ole Solskjaer, uh, you know, at least another decade in the job because I don't think he's got it, and I don't think that they, uh, they will improve to become winners. I think you know, for for now, he'd be happy with top four, for example. Um, or de even delighted with top four this season, and that's not what Manchester United are about. But I'm so happy to see them out of it. As Shane said, it's monstrous. It's whopping. It's 30 points. We're 30 points better off than them. Wow, wow, wow. Um, for VAR, the, the, the controversial moment with the with the... the you know, goalkeeper, foul on the goalkeeper. There's only one person to ask for this, and that's Sergi as the neutral observer. Was that a foul on De Gea, or was he being, you know, soft like a sponge, like a wet sponge? Yeah, this goal shouldn't have been allowed, because there, there was the a little bit of fall. Mm, yes, I, in this particular moment I agree with War, I agree with the decision of the referee that uh, this one shouldn't have been allowed and actually the VAR improves the football and I really love, love it, I really love it because uh, yeah, it doesn't mm, let such things happen and then you won't have these haters that will will say that uh, Liverpool as I saw uh, 
few days earlier that they were they were, were saying that uh, Liverpool is winning only because of VAR. Now the the goal was disallowed and it was done correctly. So you cannot complain. Everything I agree with this decision and it was correct. Excellent stuff. Yeah, probably. Uh, I would agree. I would agree. Um, where do you stand on VAR at this point in the season, Shane? And and uh, do you think that was the correct decision like, like me and Sergi do? Uh, yes, I actually agree that this was uh, the correct decision. I mean, there's something to be said about uh, that 60-yard box and what kind of protections the keeper has within that 6-yard box. And so, yeah, I have no problem with that one being called back. Uh, and overall, I am happy with uh, the introduction of VAR to some extent. I do think uh, it has been implemented in uh, better ways uh, in Europe in the UEFA leagues as opposed to the way that the uh, FA has uh, implemented it in the EPL and uh, the English domestic uh, competitions. I think they don't use the screen enough. I think they take too much time, um, the screen on the side of the pitch. Um, and um, I don't know. I just think there's some sort of communication breakdown that needs to, to be worked out. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that... I, I don't think... Uh, that second one, I completely agree with VAR. That's what I'm trying to say. I completely agree with VAR for the second one. But for example, like that third one, the the one where Jeannie Vinaldums uh, was able to on the slide roll pass was able to put the ball into the net and score. I the, from what it looks like, I mean, yeah, it could be onside. It could be offside. It's like a very tight decision. I mean, I don't know where you two stand on it. That was the one that I felt like was just a closer call. Uh, but I mean, as long as they don't take too much time away from the game with VAR, then it should be all right. Oh, and I guess the, my other complaint about VAR is I don't like the way it's being used for handballs. It just seems to be like... I don't know, there's just like this difference in, in terms of intention and the, the way the rule is writ written about intent between the player and a ricochet and and all of that. And so, and it just seems like different referees have different opinions and, and it's not uniform throughout uh, the English league. So, but yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, interesting question. Um, regarding the handball, well, one, one change I would like to see uh, in VAR is uh, what they do in cricket, which I'm sure neither of you watch. Um, probably, I mean, I'm you know, excuse me for cultural, culturally stereotyping you, but I don't imagine cricket's very popular uh, where you guys are from. But in cricket, you've got your captains. Uh, and your your um, your captain on the field is allowed to challenge a certain amount of decisions in every game. And what I would like to see in football is that you can have one in each half. You can have one decision, and it could be any decision on the field, where you can challenge it. And where it could have benefited um, either team, I suppose, today. But, but for Liverpool today, for example, there was that moment with a handball uh, with Luke Shaw where Trent crossed it and Luke Shaw raised his arm and the ball hit his arm. And according to the rules, that is a penalty. But for some reason, maybe the assistant referee was, was blinded, didn't have a good view of it. Uh, the VAR didn't bring it back, but I think this is one moment where you could review it and then they can have a proper look at it. And if and if you lose your review, then you can't review any others and you have to just go with the referee's decision and that would help the flow of the game, which the match-going fans 
um, are very concerned about, and rightly so, you know, as they should be, uh, because you know the, the the stops are too long. But then there was another another moment uh, when Pereira, I, I think it was in the first half, um, where yes, when when they were attacking the cop, and Pereira didn't quite manage to to stretch enough to have a tap in, but that move came. Uh, from a throw-in that should have been ours. And it was a simple decision that the assistant got wrong, and clearly wrong, you could see it on TV. But because it's only a throw-in, VAR isn't supposed to intervene. And this is a bit silly, uh, in my opinion, because if you had a uh, a rule change, whereas, you know, you can have one per half, and if you get the the review correct, then you can have another one. You know, it rolls over if you're correct. But if you're not correct, then you lose it. If you implement that, then it's not going to stop the game every every couple of minutes. And it's just going to eliminate little mistakes like that, which could have led to a Manchester United equalising goal. And then we could be sitting here only 14 or 13 points ahead with the game in hand. Those, in a nutshell, are my views um, on things that can change and uh, things like handball and things like that. What do you think, Sergey? Regarding handball, I, I believe that would, uh, FIFA should review again all these rules because in the end, according to the rules, you can um, understand the situation from both sides you can say that there was handball but then and then you can say that it wasn't intentional and both will be right and then you in the end of the day the referee decides to give a penalty not to give a penalty it was fall it was handball or it was intended or not intended and but how the rules are written now the both will be right and then it's I don't see it as a clear rule. I believe that if you have a rule, it has to be something definitely clear that, okay, handball means handball, whatever reason of that handball is. But here we are and here we have these rules. And in the end of the day, referees still can influence the game. And war, uh, some kind of limits it or make it more justice. Mm, let's say still this technology I believe that it is not uh, mm, it, it is still in development and I I believe that we will add new techniques or maybe new angles or additional camera cameras at the at the stadiums at, and it will improve I guess we just have to wait few seasons more and I hope it will improve. Regarding the rule of reviewing uh, and the right of the captain to uh, challenge some decision of the referee, it uh, sounds interesting. I, I would like, I would love to see some kind of beta testing on few games in football. But from the another side, I believe that it can add even more complexity to the game because now the captain should think twice. Should I challenge this? Should I um, play this card now, or was was it? Am I right about this uh, handball? Because here again the man factor plays in. Because during the game the referee can become emotional, little bit. I know they they are not out, but 
we are humans, it can happen. And then the captain of the team starts to challenge him. And in the situation where both are right, referee will decide to decline and the, um, vote against this captain and the team will lose their right to uh, challenge the decision just because of this little factor and because the rules are not um, strict, are not uh, correct and allow this kind of scenes where both sides can be correct. So we still have to work on it. But this, uh, this addition, I guess it will add more uh, spice into the game. Yes, it's interesting. In cricket, when it, when it works and it's sort of a 50-50 decision in the end, then you go with the original decision that the referee made. So let's say they weren't sure about Luke Shaw's handball. Uh, then they would go with the original decision. But they said, well, you could. it was like a 50-50 subjective one. Uh, so you can keep your your review, um, but uh, yeah, no, I think it, I think it would just add to the drama. Whereas VAR isn't automatic after every goal or whatever, but uh, yes, it's uh, it's just something you can ask for, and that's it. I would love to see it, but anyway, let's move on because you know Liverpool. Um, this is dreamland. I mean, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, said in his book that football is a game for dreamers and now you know it's got me dreaming about the league and 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 all kinds of things that are possible for this team um um how realistic is it Sergey from the outside you know from your um you know you're not a Liverpool fan as we've mentioned a few times how wildly can Liverpool dream this season I mean you know we've got Shrewsbury in the FA Cup um, and uh, you know we 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 are certainly dreaming about overcoming hopefully Atletico Madrid and lifting number seven in the Champions League. Is it realistic, Sergey? To be honest, I am I am thinking that Liverpool can actually pretend on a treble this year. Uh, as I understand that uh, Liverpool already went out of another English cup because. There, in English, there are too many cups, guys. In England, there are too many cups. I, you, you have to do something with that. <laughs> the, the players get tired. They, they are humans too. I know we fans, we love to watch a lot of games, but they are humans too. <laughs> but yeah, actually, I, I don't like to say it. Because I'm still hoping that with the new coach, Barcelona can um, fight in the Champions League. But, and again, I don't like saying it, but Liverpool has a lot of chances of closing a treble this year. And this is how wildly Liverpool can dream this season. Especially this, because... Liverpool converted into machine of results, into machine of for gathering the trophies. They actually during the game against Manchester United, I actually got myself on the thought that when Manchester United started to attack, it was only because Liverpool all of this. And I believe this is some kind of uh, more than top level of football. Liverpool is a beast right now. I will repeat it again. I am afraid to say this, but the the wildest dream this this is the moment for those wildest dreams of uh, Liverpool of Reds. 
this is the year wow that sounds fantastic what do you reckon shane are you are you up in the clouds in 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 seventh heaven dreaming of this treble or if you count the super cup and world club championship a quintuple absolutely i uh, uh of course yeah that's that's definitely what i'm thinking about uh i mean i'd love it if uh we could keep rotating and still win the fa cup on a rotated team i think it would be absolutely wonderful i'm still a little upset i mean it's uh, it's very silly it's very silly of me but like you know there's still a little thorn in my side about not having the community shield to really kind of complete it so but I'll have to learn to let that one go, and hopefully the Premier League and the Champions League and the FA Cup will ease the pain of the Community Shield. Oh man, but that's that's what's driving us on, I think. That's what's causing the Vampire Reds to, to run amok uh, as soon as the sun goes down, like today. Um, absolutely fantastic team. I, I think we're brilliant, and so many of our players are in the prime of their careers. It, it's just... I don't think we have any weaknesses, really. Um, but, Sergey, I want to talk about you and your and a bit of your work. Now, I invited you on today because I saw a fantastic article that you wrote uh, called Extended Football Stats for European League. So do Google that, guys, and, you, and you'll find it. Extended Football Stats for European leagues. Can you tell our listeners, Sergey, about this and about your football analysis, please? So, uh, I am working in the data science field and one of the methods of gathering data, gathering information, is web scraping. And then I, I, I thought, okay, if I want to analyze some numbers, I have to get some, some of them. And actually, I, I, I just started to learn about XG and how it works, etc., etc. And I found this um, un understat. And I thought, oh, let, let me try to scrape it. And then I found the way how to scrape it. I wrote my scraper, uh, prepared the article, and described step by step how to prepare this data set. And now, I am maintaining this data set of all the teams from all the top leagues on a Kaggle. Kaggle is the community for the data scientists where you can find a lot of free data sets and you can analyze a lot of um, a lot of data from all the fields, from all the industries. And actually, I decided to do this because I didn't find a good data set about football. Yes, there are some of them on Kaggle, but um, I didn't like them. And I said, okay. If there is something that I need and I cannot find it on Google, I have to make it myself. And that was the, the motivation behind this work. And after that, when I prepared this data set, when I gathered all the data, I prepared and actually I created the Excel file, the CSV archive, just the same as we see on the um, understat.com. Having this data, you can play with them, you can ha uh, find some averages, maximums, minimums, etc. Et then it's only your imagination. And based on this uh, data set, I prepared uh, another articles which I called uh, Football, Why Winners Win and uh, Losers Lose. And during the analysis of XG and um, actual uh, of expected goals and actual goals, expected points and actual points, I have found the that to win the league you have to do something more you have to deliver more 
if you if your players are create enough moments to score let's say 50 goals you will end up in the middle of the table but if your team is able to score more than expected if your team is able to get more points than expected this is the team that wins and the same works for losers if your team doesn't score what they have to score if your team uh, gets uh, more uh, goals as they should have they uh, uh, they are de delegated and this um, trend happens in each of leagues and in the end of this analysis uh, i mm, took a closer look on the barcelona and i found that even though barcelona was uh, in last five years and uh, they were overperforming their actual stats in, with valverde as the coach this gap became too wide and what i concluded that knowing how barcelona plays knowing uh, their strategy and their tactics i um, come uh, came to the conclusion that barcelona wins only because of messi if you throw out messi barcelona will become some average team and it scared me a lot and in the conclusion of the article i i wrote that if nothing will change in barcelona uh, this team won't win any trophy in the next season and until last week when the new coach were introduced everything was happening like this everything was leading to the point that barcelona can lose everything and th that's what i told in the beginning that xg for the one game not always the best statistics to, co to compare but when you compare it, when you look at it on the long run, you understand the real power of the team. It's a brilliant explanation. Yeah, thank you very much. So, I mean, you know, in terms of fixing it then, I mean, so what you're looking for are teams that, you know, outperform their XG going forward. And, um, you know, so, so let's say, I, I think Leicester are outperforming their XG by quite a long way this season, but that's... That's actually, go they were the last time I checked, which was about seven games ago, and they've only got seven points from their last seven games or something like that. So since then, it's sort of averaging itself out. And this is what you can see with XG time and time again from the little that I know about it. But yes, it is fascinating. But my question is, how do you fix it for Barcelona? Are you looking for players, for example, strikers that outperform their XG or defenders that outperform uh, the goals against for their team? I mean, is that is that something that is, you know, vital to look for when you're, for example, scouting new players? That's definitely something, something that came into play that you have to look for the players that will outperform the the players that will have a skill to score from the places that normal people let's say don't score uh, let's say the this uh, young guy holland that uh, came to borussia dortmund he's the beast he made three touches and scored three goals in the um, last game borussia against uh, augsburg this is the the striker you want in your team because he converts with the uh, high probability and yes when you are looking for the new players you have to 
try to find these guys but also the this is the task of the coach to show the team how to create enough moments from which these players can score and that was uh, th this is something that i was missing at barcelona that messi would score from some position that no one will score and they will win and the team will win only because of this but i believe that all the team should do things like this and actually the to, in order to prepare to for this podcast i i made a little uh, joint analysis of the liverpool in general there is a Ukrainian blogger that I am following in YouTube and he in the end of the uh, first half of the season made a top 10 per each position and Liverpool has uh, a man in each of these tops so the stats the stats the, yeah I was a little bit mistaken the only mm, uh, top that uh, Liverpool didn't have uh, the person in top 10 was the central forwards because the Liverpool has only Firmino and Firmino doesn't play the classical central forward that, so I don't really count that this is some little kind of losing or something it's a little bit different let's say but then uh, let's go wingers the 6th place Mane, 17th place Salah attacking midfielders third Gini Vinaldum and 21st Henderson defensive midfielders 4th Fabinho central defenders 9th Van Dijk and I know this hurt this hurts I will explain to you a little bit um, later why Van Dijk is let's say such a low in top 10 left defender 2nd Andrew Robertson right defender 5th Alexander Arnold goalkeepers 3rd Alisson and coaches second club so this analysis was made um, by this blogger he's very analytical person and he he has more data than i do and i believe that he didn't uh, make those numbers to uh, create some illusion or something like that because he's actually neutral to all the teams he just likes football and how he explained, he, he had a lot of hate actually about uh, among his uh, followers when he said that uh, Virgil was ninth in his top. But then he explained that it's not that uh, Virgil is bad. There are eight players that are just better. And that's it. That are just better by numbers. So the formulas that were used here... Mm, I will send you a link and maybe we can talk about this uh, later because it's taking a lot of time and then I will get here into uh, too much details uh, but the formulas that were used for this analysis uh, was uh, some kind of to be the intent of this formula was to uh, make all those players more or less to make this analysis objective and be able to compare uh, the players from the defensive teams and from attacking teams so there are some parameters in those formulas that that add up and some that um, minus up and etc etc so when i watch these formulas i see that it may it has the logic and when you watch these players that get that get into those tops you understand that yes they are really top players and yeah liverpool has one top player in each in each category and has the 
the best coach uh, in Europe. What do you want more, guys? Oh, quite a lot, Sergey. Sorry, quite. I I want more uh, because I think I think this is something that that's very fascinating to me. It's a really really interesting. I'm very happy to, to to be talking about it. But you get a player like Virgil, and and sorry, did you say Salah was was seventeenth in the world for being a winger? Yes, yes, yes. He was seventeenth. Yes, seventeenth. Okay, so with Mohamed Salah, the thing is, right, I mean, as somebody who doesn't have, who definitely is not objective, but who looks at, uh, you know, stats and all that stuff to, to sort of back up what I see, there's something that is bound to get missed if you just judge players through data analysis. It, with players like Salah and Virgil, is that Mohamed Salah has an appreciation of space and time that is different and way beyond most defenders that he comes up with, as in 99% of the defenders he comes up with. And I don't know if if you saw the goal that we scored against Tottenham, the winning goal last week, Mohamed Salah's in the box and he's got two, three defenders on him and he doesn't have any time. He's got about half a second or less to make up, make a decision and do something with the ball, which is like a sort of looping header from Henderson. He takes one touch, he holds off two defenders and plays a pass next to the other defender in a way that gives Firmino time to take a touch and with his right foot and then bang it in with his left foot. And I think there's something with Mohamed Salah. Another example is against David Luiz earlier in the season um, when Liverpool played Arsenal at Anfield. There's a turn that Salah does that won't really show up as a dribble on a lot of stats. Um, but he absolutely, basically, he's, he's, he's got his back to goal and he's on the touchline. But with one touch and a spin, he leaves David Luiz from in a very good position just following uh, Mohamed Salah to the ball and shepherding him out of danger. With one touch, Mohamed Salah gets 10 metres on David Luiz, runs in and actually manages to score a goal. And it's it's the way that he's so efficient with his touches that I'm sure places him as low as 17th on this list because I would say that Messi is better than Mohamed Salah in that right-wing position. I don't watch uh, certain leagues like uh, I don't watch much of the of any other league apart from the Premier League, but Mohamed Salah is by far and away much much better than Raheem Sterling, for example, who plays in a similar position, and he's better than everyone. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk. Likewise, I mean, today he made one tackle, the same amount as Adam Lalana, but he's he dominated, he dominated, and he didn't need to make tackles. So I wonder if there's still, in your opinion, Sergey, a lot of data that's missing to give you a complete view of a football pitch, which is why data analysis is still evolving. 
Actually, actually this is a very great point and we can uh, get back uh, to my words when I said that data without context is nothing. And here is the same, because actually I would add some kind of, I don't know, some coefficient to each of the player of their, I know, the motivation level or maybe their um, uh, leadership level on the pitch that actually will uh, that will uh, up them um, in the in this top because some players could be very very good just by data and again numbers don't lie and if you see that someone is better just by this it means that he is better but then some guy may be little bit worse maybe will have a little um, they will perform a little bit worse than other players but he can have such an influence on the game just by being present on this game so yes the we it just by the data again this data cannot be objective and cannot be the 100% source of truth but it also shows us that uh, Salah can improve he can do better because there are some guys that do that have that have some numbers better than he does imagine if he improves those numbers what he can do the same with Virgil I'm not telling that he's worse he just he actually needs even one more additional coefficient to uh, put him even higher in his rating because I guess he's some kind some kind of Messi of the Liverpool meaning that when he is present the defense is um, confident the defense uh, is not afraid the defense uh, can trust to their partners and defense defense works perfectly and maybe when he is not on on the pitch the defense starts to crack down a little it's very interesting stuff what do you think shane i think all of it's very interesting i think it's all it's all based on a lot of different variables i mean also you have to look at the person conducting uh the the study and the analysis uh and they seem like to be a very reputable person and so there are certain guidelines i know in data science that people follow and so you could have two different people running two different sort of analyses but due to uh, differing guidelines and how they interpret uh such data could also uh produce very different results um so yeah uh I wish I was more into. I wish I was a uh, uh, more fluent in football stats. I am trying my best uh, to learn as much as I can. Um, obviously, someone like you, Owen, or you, Sergey, are uh, are really, really, really awesome at it uh, and are uh, neck deep in it all. Um, but just going back to the game and, and implementing some of these stats that we're talking about. For example, the two goals that Liverpool scored today. I was looking at this on understat.com and I wanted to see what you guys thought. Um, I thought it was very interesting. So Virgil van Dijk's goal had a shot XG of 0.06, and he scored it, which is pretty amazing. And then uh, the shot XG for Mo was 
to six. So for some reason, uh, or for a multitude of reasons, Virgil van Dyke's uh, effort on goal was least was less likely to go in than Mohamed Salah's effort. But I felt like that could be almost be the reverse. Uh, but like you mentioned earlier, goals to sc- uh, scoring off a set piece, scoring off a corner is is very 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 hard work. So uh, what do you guys make of those shot xG numbers? I have certain problems with XG, I've got to say, um, but I'm not. I'm, I'm far from an expert on it. But I just think if you give uh, Anthony Martial to give credit to a Manchester United player or Marcus Rashford um, a chance anywhere in the box compared to uh, I don't know a player like Joe Allen from Liverpool's past or you know someone like Andy Robbo even as brilliant as Robertson is um, they're just not as likely to score but it goes down as the same amount of XG because that's how the most XG models work is that there is a certain percentage for a certain position of the ball regardless of the player whereas for me certain players like Holland that Sergi mentioned because they're lethal will always consistently throughout their career outperform XG um yeah um but I'm 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 curious about Mohamed Salah Sergi he's 17th um, his stats this year, uh, 19 appearances in the Premier League, 11 goals and 5 assists from the right wing. He could have, he could do better, uh, that's true. He did do better a couple of seasons ago with his 44-goal season, but I'm more than happy with that, as well as his 4 goals and 2 assists from 6 Champions League games. And I'm just wondering... I mean, yeah, you can answer what, tell us what you think of XG as well, like Shane asked. But also, who is, for example, 16th or 15th or 14th better than Mo Salah? Because it's just confusing me. Wingers that are, by the numbers, are better than uh, Salah. Azar from the Real Madrid. Coman from Bayern Munich. Uh, Griezmann from Barcelona, uh, Gervinho from Parma. So here in this top you can notice that there are players from teams that are not top teams but by the numbers they perform well. Then uh, actually I am going to, to tell you all the all this top 10 list of wingers. So the tens is uh, Traoré from the Wolves. Whoa, 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 sorry, 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 Stoke. Sorry to interrupt, Sergei. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The first person you mentioned there was Eden Hazard, right, from Real Madrid, or was it his brother? The, the fr- yeah, he is 15th, Eden Hazard. Okay, well, that already, I've got a problem with that. In 2019-20, he has one goal and one assist from eight matches in the league, in La Liga. And in the Champions League, he has no goals from five matches. Eden Azar, I mean, he looks good. He dribbles a million times more than Mohamed Salah and he makes these crazy passes and etc, etc. But at the end of the day, he doesn't get goals or assists that Mohamed Salah gets. So how can he be as good? Uh, in this for, for, formula, all the wingers got points from 300 to 4,000. So just to give you an overview of the scale. And the difference, for, for example, between Azar uh, and Salah is just 70 points. Difference between uh, the Salah and 
tens place which is Traore is just 500 points so in the end of the day they are all close but just as this formula built again this is not a perf perfect formula it tries to um, include a lot of uh, different parameters like for example percentage of uh, shots on the goal percentage of dribbles success successful uh, dribbles successful duels won in the attack successful runs uh, goal plus pass plus uh, key um, key key uh, assist and all this is added and then divided by the loses of the ball and for example Salah has an average of 12 loses and this is something that got him uh, down because for example Son which is nines he underperforms on all the other uh, mm, uh, parameters but he loses the ball only eight times and only just by this by the division that is less he he wins yeah but this is this is exactly my 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 um my drawback i mean i i like these data sets i like them because i do think you can learn a lot for them but ultimately any data set that puts adama traore seven places above mohammed salah for me is automatically flawed i know i'm not <laughs> i'm not objective i'm subjective because he plays for liverpool uh. but even objectively you know he's a, you're supposed to you're playing you know as an attacker you're supposed to attack have good numbers and i've seen adama traore a lot because i've kept my eye on him and i think jürgen klopp would make would do absolute wonders with this player. I think he's a, a marvellous talent. But I've seen him dribble um, basically every single time he gets the ball, he dribbles. And he can beat three players and then pass it backwards. Or he can beat three players and then balloon a shot high and wide and not very handsome. And uh, I just think that in terms of efficiency, Mohamed Salah will always be underrated by data models because they're they're not none of them capture the brilliance of him because he doesn't need to dribble he just uses his strength and his awareness and his his efficiency and i'm sure for example he loses more balls because he gets in positions to shoot more and then his shooting is something that can improve uh, and he hits it wide and it goes out for a goal kick like we saw today when you know he scuffed his first chance but then he scored his second or third anyway we're gonna have to pretty much leave it there uh, for today we've gone way over time but um, I want to thank you so much, Sergey. It's been really, really interesting to have this conversation about data analysis and great to have a, a view from a Barcelona fan, a very objective, neutral view on Liverpool and extremely heartwarming to hear how brilliant we are from the outside as well as the inside. And Shane, I want to thank you for giving us the lowdown on the LA Reds waving their massive faces of Klopp and Bobby Firmino what an image and, and and confirming what we know from the inside that this is the greatest Liverpool team and we're top of the top of the league finally just one final thing Shane um, definitively are we going to win the league are we going to win the Champions League are we going to win the FA Cup 
tell us. I think now that Mohamed Salah has finally scored against Manchester United, I think there's nothing else left to do other than to win those three trophies. <laughs> I love the optimism. Uh, Sergey, thank you very much. Uh, and thanks to Shane. And uh, I hope to speak to you guys again pretty soon. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Sergey. And thus, as we giddily stagger towards the exit of this week's episode, let me simply remind you that you, the spunky listener, can get involved in the Cop On conversation by either sending an email to coponpodcast at gmail.com or following us on Twitter at coponpodcast or supporting us via patreon.com forward slash coponpodcast. Do get in touch, do one of those things, or maybe share Cop On with someone who might like it. And to play you out this week, we have a special recording that Shane made of the official Liverpool Supporters Club in Los Angeles. What a treat this is. Thank you so much to Shane. But of course, as always, the most thanks go to you, the beautiful, gorgeous, lovely listener. And I do hope that you're thoroughly enjoying this first-class ticket to Dreamland.